Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the 2023 AFCON Diaries. Uh, this is part of the African Five Podcast.com, brought to you by www.africasacountry.com. Sorry, this is the African Five Aside Podcast, brought to you by africasacountry.com. Um, today I'm not in my regular Airbnb, I'm visiting a friend, and as you can probably hear, it is raining cats and dogs in Abidjan. Uh, we haven't seen rain and thunder like this since we got here, but uh, just a little preview of the rainy season to come and why we cannot play the African Cup of Nations, you know, uh, in the spring or in the summer uh, in these parts of Africa. So uh, please do bear with the uh, incidental noise that you'll be picking up in the background of this podcast. But I did want to record an episode and bring it out to you guys um, before the night was over. So today was the first day we had off since the beginning of the AFCON. Uh, and for a lot of journalists, that means, you know, doing laundry. Uh, that means doing grocery shopping. For some that were unfortunately involved in a car accident, that means maybe getting medicine or, or trying to just rest and recover. Um, for me, I was invited by uh, FIFA, me and a select few journalists, um, to a workshop sort of and they wanted to what they really wanted to do and something that I admire was they wanted to explain some of their projects on the African continent and it was broken down into two parts so the first part was how FIFA allocates uh, their forward funds for those that don't know FIFA is now in phase three of their FIFA forward program and that's for federations or member associations you know, that need funding for certain projects to develop football in their country, what they'll do is they'll pitch to, to the FIFA forward program. Uh, anybody, it's eligible to anybody, anybody can do it. And FIFA will give you funds um, based on, you know, uh, if they deem that you are in actual need of those funds. Um, the one shining example that FIFA always likes to use is the Mauritanian Federation in terms of good governance. And we spoke about that in the Mauritania preview on this podcast uh, with Jamel uh, Sevier. And uh, what Mauritania did over the last 10 years really is admirable. What they did was they got money from the FIFA Forward program. They built a technical center for their national team and for their federation. So it's the headquarters for the federation. They also built a stadium, a very small stadium, but they don't need a huge stadium. You know, they don't have tens of thousands of people going to the stadium to watch the Murabitun. They structured, you know, their, their leagues. Uh, they d even did small logistical things like making buses available to girls and women footballers uh, as, you know, transportation can be hectic in Nouakchott and in other areas of Mauritania. And that just makes it a lot easier for them to practice football and for parents to feel more comfortable letting their girls uh, safely travel to the football practices and back. So most recently, just a few months ago, uh, Mauritania with new FIFA forward funds, for example, they, they opened a medical center uh, that is going to be used to treat athletes at all levels. You know, if there's like a, an ACL, for example, injury, a knee injury, that's an injury that maybe 20 years ago in Mauritania couldn't really be fixed realistically, or it would be very, very expensive, and it wasn't readily available to anybody. Now, with a center like this, with the, the doctors that they have in place, they'll be able to carry out those surgeries in Mauritania. They won't have to send people abroad, and that could save careers, you know. So uh, very, very interesting to see how the different regional offices of FIFA um, work with different member associations to try and lay down the building blocks for football development. And that's really the gist of the FIFA Forward program. 
one of my questions was, you know, how do some of the bigger countries, a, a country like Egypt, for example, they don't need money to build a technical center. They have that. They don't need money to build a medical center. They have so many of those. How do they use FIFA forward funds, maybe creatively? I didn't get a satisfactory response, honestly. I was thinking maybe some of the bigger federations were thinking outside of the box or creatively to maybe, you know, pitch a program for football and climate change, something like this. Not necessarily the case. Uh, by and large, the main projects remain in, with all due respect, smaller countries, countries like Mauritania or uh, Central African Republic uh, or Iswatini. These were the, the programs that were highlighted, um, federations that were using this money to, to you know, do good work. The second part of the FIFA program or the FIFA workshop today was uh, regarding the talent development scheme. And this was something I thought was even more interesting. FIFA under Arsene Wenger put in place a project where they want to help all confederations become world class, really, to get to the level of the Europeans or the South Americans so they can um, compete at World Cups at all levels and across uh, the two genders as well. Um, to do this, what they've done is they've developed a program called the Talent Development Scheme. And in Africa, this is led by Faisal Chipsa and Anthony Bafo from Ghana. And what Faisal and Anthony are doing is they go to technical directors of federations and they'll say, tell us if you have a philosophy, a national philosophy. You know, like we know Holland, how they play. We know Spain, how they play. And it doesn't matter who the technical director is. They're producing the same kind of player. And so what Faisal and what Anthony are doing is they'll go to these federations and they'll say, come up with a philosophy, make a long-term vision, uh, then tell us what that is, and we're going to help develop a program for you to develop that talent from a very young age, even younger than 15 years old. And the idea is that sooner or later, uh, we're going to continue to develop these youth footballers, and that's going to translate to the senior level. Um, one thing that FIFA is doing that I didn't know that I think is very interesting is that they're going to start having under 17 World Cups every single year. Um, and they think that that's a great way to develop, you know, uh, underage talent as well. So uh, all of these things are very, very interesting. My, my last point about the talent development scheme was, you know, with European fo modern football, European football is the dominant ideology. And a lot of the times European football, they have preconceived notions of what they want from African players. A player like uh, Papa Bouba Diop, for example, God rest his soul, from Senegal. You know, he had a great 2002 World Cup, and I think a lot of Premier League clubs saw him, and they said, hey, that's a player that's similar to Patrick Vieira. We need tall footballers that are physical, that can get up and down the pitch, box to box. Uh, in the Premier League, you know, when we're playing 4-4-2s, as they were in the early 2000s, uh, let's go to Senegal and find a bunch of players like that. You know, they have preconceived notions of what they want. A player like John Obi Mikel was more of a creative player. Alex Song was more of a creative player when they were at the under-17 level. But by the time they get to European football, they're shoehorned into a specific role of what Europeans think African players should be. Um, and as a result, I think that that can take away you know, from uh, African football identity. And I was more interested in seeing how they can counter that and how perhaps we can, uh, you know, Develop players that play an African way, in a sense, not necessarily in a European way. And I'm, I felt very nostalgic, you know, for, you know, former midfielders like like a Teofil Abiga, for example, from Cameroon. Somebody that was very elegant and a great dribbler and a great technical footballer. And I've spoken at lengths now about, you know, Cameroon's midfield since 2017 and how untechnical it is and how 
they really struggle to, to have you know ball progressing uh, creative midfielders um, and, and I think part and parcel of that is because they're exporting these talents you know at the age of under 16 under 17 and the Europeans know what they want from Cameroonian midfielders anyways just wanted to touch on that and to, to explain what I did today uh, but before I, I let you go for you know this is going to be a shorter AFCON diary I wanted to uh, share with you my team of the round for the group stages. <coughs> so I've opted for a 3 4 3. Um, and I'm going to start with the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper, I have uh, Jesus Owono. But to be honest, I thought there could be a few different players here. I thought Ronwen Williams from South Africa has had a good group stage with two clean sheets. Uh, Babakar Nias from Mauritania made some very crucial saves against Algeria. Uh, and also, uh, I think, had a great group, a group stage as well. And then you have Jesus Owono. Uh, Owono is the leader in, for example, FATMAP statistical category of goals presented. He's second in saves per 90 minutes after Umar Nias. Uh, excuse me, just going to pause this for a second. Yeah, excuse me. Actually, the, the guardian of this residence just knocked on the door to show us the road, and it's completely flooded. So... Uh, <laughs> Just to show you, I mean, the uh, the extent of the flooding that can happen in the rainy season. We're not even in the rainy season. Anyways, uh, so that Owono, I think, deserves his place, you know, as Equatorial Guinea's defensive leader, in a sense. Um, just 22 years old, not really playing for Alaves in, in, in Spain, but has had a great AFCON. Um, my defenders, I only used one center half. Khalidou Koulibaly and Edmund Tapsoba are examples of center halves, or even Alexander Jiku that had good tournaments, but I'm going to go with Logan Costa, the 22-year-old defender currently playing in France. Uh, he's won 92% of his defensive duels at this tournament so far, which is the most among center halves. And more importantly, uh, you know, Cape Verde, and I think rightly so, have been credited with the style of football that they play tactically and technically. And their fearlessness when they play the ball out, uh, you know, on the ground. And a lot of that stems from their defense, and a lot of that stems from Logan Costa. So not only has he been great in duels, not only has he been great uh, in clearances, uh, one, seven clearances, I think, against Egypt, uh, getting the danger out when it needs to be you know, booted out, but at the same time, putting his foot on the ball and progressing the ball, uh, he's done a fantastic job of that. Uh, the other two defenders that I have are Ola Aina and Ashraf Hakimi. Ola Aina was man of the match versus Cote d'Ivoire, by far Nigeria's most impressive performance in this tournament uh, and really the, their reference match so far. Um, he's been doing a good job of just being re re reliable, dependable, playing right back, left back. Whatever the coach needs him to do, he can do it. Um, defensively, he's been absolutely imperious, but he's also been doing a re really, 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 really good job of getting up, supporting the attack, and initiating attacks from, from wide areas of the pitch. Ashraf Hakimi, there's not much that we need to say, right? I mean, he's second in all, amongst all AFCON players in key passes with 3.5. He's first in XA with 1.2, first in trans chances created. We always talk about that triangle between uh, Ziyech, uh, Unahi, and Hakimi. Uh, I don't, we need to find a nickname for that triangle. I don't know, Bermuda Triangle or something. But it's just so, so good. And it's the main strength of the Moroccan national team. And a large part of that is because of Ashraf Hakimi's lung-bursting runs um, and what he offers off the ball, especially uh, for Morocco. Uh, in midfield, 
we have four players. I have Hakim Ziyech. Hakim Ziyech has a goal and an assist um, in this tournament. I've been impressed, you know, with his ability to uh, and willingness, more importantly, to buy in defensively out of possession. There has been times when Hakim Ziyech has refused to do that. Uh, I can think of an example, for example, when Hervé Renard was the coach of Morocco and he used to say, I see Hakim Ziyech pressing with Ajax Amsterdam, but I don't see him pressing with Morocco. And that's a big problem for us. He, that hasn't been the case here. He's done his defensive duties and some. And then we talked about, you know, Morocco's perhaps not inability, but sometimes struggles to create from open play and how they rely on Hakim Ziyech from set pieces and crosses. He's been absolutely lethal with some of his set pieces and crosses, even some that haven't gone in, uh, like that free kick I spoke about in, in an earlier podcast with Hakimi, where it was a quick one. Uh, Ziyech turns around, sweeping cross, and Naif Haggard heads just wide. Uh, so he's really been absolutely crucial to Morocco creating, whilst not neglecting his defensive duties. My two central midfielders are uh, Azdin Unahi and Lamine Kamara. Lamine Kamara have, has actually the most passes for a midfielder, uh, completed alongside Azdin Unahi, but he also has two goals. Um, what what a 12 months has been for Lamine Kamara, player of the tournament at Chan, player of the tournament at the under-20 level, makes a summer move to Mets, was voted league on player of the month, I forget in which month, I think September or October, has played in uh, maybe 17 or 18 matches for Mets, just 18 or 19 years old, and now uh, makes <laughs> player of the group stages um, for Senegal and is looking to be... Um, you know, a linchpin for that Senegalese side for probably a decade to come. Uh, Azdin Unahi has found some of that mojo that he had with the Moroccan national team uh, at the World Cup. You know, immediately following the World Cup, it was weird because he came back. He was looking for a move, um, didn't really play much with Angers when he came back. And so he was out of a rhythm. And then Marseille had a very specific way that they wanted their central midfielders to play um, under Igor Tudor and well, he, I'm not sure that he, it took him some time to adapt, you know, it took him a few months to learn Igor Tudor's system. And so it wasn't really impressive after the World Cup, but it seems like with Morocco, maybe again, maybe it's because he's linking up with Hakimi and Ziyech so much, uh, but he's really found his mojo. He uh, has, he's fourth in the AFCON in terms of dribbles completed with 2.7, that goal against Tanzania that he scored, just that close control that he has, you know, his ability to touch the ball three, four times in a split second. Um shift defenders and and just that nutmeg that he has in the corner uh, against Zambia uh, just been an absolute pleasure and joy to watch him aesthetically speaking uh, and my final midfielder is a player that only played two matches Mohamed Kudus but look at these statistical uh, look at these statistics for him despite playing two matches four dribbles per game that ranks first 4.5 shots per game that ranks first the most shots outside of the box per game third most in through balls completed uh, amongst the AFCON. He was the only <laughs> outlet, attacking outlet for Ghana. We saw how much of a difference he made when he came back. And it's just a shame that his AFCON was cut short after two matches because I think we all would have loved to see him at least play three matches, if not more. Um, I had Mohamed Kudus as a top three player when I voted for the CAF Awards, uh, just after Yassin Bounou and Victor Osimhen, And I felt reconverted with that decision uh, to vote for him for him third. Again, many people still think he's an up-and-coming player. I don't think that's the case. He's an established player, and he's already one of the best players on the continent. Finally, my, my top three, my, my forward three are going to be Georges Kevin Nkudu, Emilio Nsu, and Jelson Dalla. 
Jolson Della, because of his ability to carry the ball with his dribbling, that goal he scored against uh, Mauritania carried it 40 yards, you know, uh, and just such a cool, calm, and collected finish. Uh, Angola really missed him in that first match against Algeria. Um, but that dribbling ability coupled with the set pieces, he's going to be absolutely crucial to anything Angola does, uh, you know, if they can beat Namibia and make it to the quarterfinals. Georges Kevin Nkudu also is absolutely central to what Cameroon do. Uh, some statistics, 3.7 crosses per match, that's first in the AFCON. 3.3 key passes in the uh, per match, that's third in the AFCON, and first in chances created. So Nkudu hasn't necessarily been the best, but he's been largely responsible for getting Cameroon uh, to the knockout stages because Cameroon, every single goal they, goal they scored has been through a set piece or a cross, and he has three assists, and most of the goals have come from his crosses or set pieces. So uh, again, hasn't been necessarily great throughout the matches, but because of his importance and them scoring their goals, which got them to the knockout stages. I'm going to include him on the left wing. And finally, Emilio Insu. I mean, there's not much to say. Five goals, leading goal scorer, uh, captain, 34 years old. He's putting in a Roger Mila-esque performance in terms of um, overstepping expectations. You know, from, from an outsider's perspective, I don't think anybody expected him to score five goals. We all thought he would probably have a good AFCON because he's an AFCON legend. He always steps it up when the AFCON comes around. But he's performed way beyond expectations. So I think it's the most obvious. Maybe one out of uh, all of them is probably Emilio and Sue. That's it. That's my team of the tournament. Uh, tomorrow we have press conferences, Nigeria versus Cameroon. And I think I'm going to drop a preview um, maybe of the round of 16 and how I see that going. Um, and yeah, it's going to be day 14. We're going to tomorrow's two weeks of the African Cup of Nations. Uh, can't wait to start the matches again. Uh, it felt really weird not having a match today. Uh, felt boring, you know, and we were just so spoiled with the amount of entertainment value that we were getting from these matches. So I think like you all, uh, you're all ex very, very excited to, to finally get back into the matches. So one more day and then we'll, we start the round of 16. Thanks for listening and speak soon. Peace.